Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. get my presentation up? No. Okay, no worries. So we're going to have a bit of an epic reading today, and you can look it up in your Bibles, or I recommend just enjoy the ride. Um, so the best thing in leadership is delegation. Adam. That is quite an instruction. Um, So this is from uh, 2 Timothy 11. To Samuel 11. (laughs) Nailed it. All right, here we go. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening... David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, (laughs) So David sent this word to Joab. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, So Uriah left the palace, and the gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, (laughs) with the delay. (laughs) So he asked Uriah, Uriah said to David, Then David said to him, So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and he drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger... 
Christian Arab in the war, two killed in Abimelech, son of Jared Bethel. Didn't a woman drop an Ahimara stone on him in the war so that he died for his Obed? Why did he get so close to the Lord? Was he asking this and say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead? The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had said to him, uh, sent to him. Sent him to say. The messenger said to David, David told the messenger, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had, had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, Then Nathan said to David, Then David said to Nathan, and Nathan replied, Oh man, I hope you guys enjoyed that little pray play. <coughs> I thought it's a long reading. Let's keep you awake, keep you on your toes. So, um, if you didn't know, we're doing a series where there's six of us who have all picked um, a Bible character that we want to talk about. So if you can imagine I'm um, choosing a character that I like, it might be a bit weird to you that I've chosen 
probably one of David's most low points. Um, and it really is a bad moment. Um, this isn't like a one-off, oops, my bad. Um, this sin would have actually taken months and months to carry out. Um, this is before the days of clear blue pregnancy tests. Um, I'm fairly sure it would have taken Bathsheba a while to realize that she was pregnant. And then it would have taken her a few months um, before she was definitely sure and wanted to go to the king of Israel um, to tell him. Then it would have taken um, ages to send a messenger all the way out to war to get Uriah back. Um, so basically, this is a sin. This is a choice that David made every day for a long time. And it is the classic. It's the one thing that we all remember as to like, oh, yeah, this is why David is one of us. This is why David is human. This is the thing that the church always quote to reassure us that we're all imperfect and we're all still usable for God's plans. But actually, I had beef with Dave a long time before this. Um, I, I had like a, a six-month struggle um, where I went on holiday towards the end of last year um, and I heard a sermon, and it was like, this is the five reasons why David is the best leader, and we, could, we should all follow him. And I had, somewhere in the back of my mind, like, I'm sure I read in Samuel some things, not even just the Bathsheba stuff, like, I'm sure I remember some stuff that I wasn't very happy with. Um, so in a very judgmental way, <laughs> I decided to read 1 and 2 Samuel, and um, I keep this little blue book in my bag to make notes. And in this book is a page entitled Beef with Dave. If I had a talk title, I'd call it Beef with Dave. Um, and um, what I did was I wrote down the Bible passages, and I wrote down why I had a problem with it. Now, I promise you this talk is actually about my reconciliation <laughs> with David, and I'm not just going to stand here slagging him off for 20 minutes. Um, but I thought maybe you would want to hear some of the things that, that upset me. <laughs> okay, so he would go out and attack um, other towns, other cities, completely unprovoked. He'd just go and get what he wanted. Some of his attacks, to me, just seemed unnecessary and really cruel. There's this one verse where he captures the town, and then he just cripples all of their horses. I mean, I think that just seems wasteful, if anything else. Um, and then the classic, he has so many wives um, and many concubines and many babies from neither of those categories. Um, so I wasn't that fond of him, to be honest. Um, and actually, if there was a guy like this today in our church, I would actually really struggle to be his friend, <laughs> culturally or not. Um, but it says that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. Somehow, that guy gets to be the one that's labeled a man after God's own heart. And I really struggle to believe that. But the Bible says he was. So as I'm a Christian, I've got to believe that somehow he was. Now, don't get me wrong. There is good stuff about him too. Um, Saul, the king before him at the time, was constantly hunting him, 
constantly trying to kill him, and David didn't want to retaliate, even though he had loads of opportunities to kill him in his sleep as well, and he didn't. And then when his own son, Abimelech, tried to steal his crown, again, didn't even retaliate, and um, didn't even try to keep the crown that he'd had for so long. He just ordered gentleness. So, yeah, okay, there's some good stuff, but sheesh. Anyway, um, so when reading the good with the bad, I have to concede that God somehow knows best. God knows what David is, who David is. And I'm sure this is for like a few reasons. One, of course, we all know, grace. God loves us all. I'm still not quite satisfied with that answer, but yeah. Um, And two, is that even with his shortcomings, David really knew God's heart. He knew it better than I did, I think, actually. That's what I've come to in the end. Um, It's hard to understand or believe that he could know God's heart, um, especially when you're just reading the facts like that. But thankfully, we don't just have the facts to go on, because the facts are in 1 and 2 Samuel, but like David's personal diary is in the Psalms, so we can actually read David's perspective. So um, this is part, some of the parts of Psalm 51, which it, thankfully it does say specifically at the top, this is how David reacted when the prophet Nathan came after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. So that's kind of like putting the date in your diary. So says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me of hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar." So here we see that when David actually is convicted by God, his first reaction is repentance. He understands that that is what God wants for him. And guys, the crazy thing about this is that this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. Like, we should know that. We should know that um, Jesus came to take our sins. But he got it before Jesus had come. I feel like he got it more in his heart than I do today. And he didn't even have Jesus yet explaining that. He got that with repentance, God has more than the ability to purify us. And it's amazing because actually at the time, if you sinned, what you had to do by law is, is make physical sacrifices. You had to burn the cows or the chickens. It's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> you had to. You had to do it to to um, what's that word? I don't know. No, that word. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, a piece. Atonement. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And that's what you had to do. Yet he got it. Yet he said, "You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it." That's incredible that he got that. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. This is years, hundreds of years before Jesus. He saw no sacrifice, repentance. That's what God wants in us. He wants the desire to change. Even after that long and drawn out sin, day after day, once he was convicted, he knew how God's heart worked. He knew that he didn't have to give him anything. And I think actually I know this. I'm sure a lot of you know this, but I know it in my head, and I so often struggle to get it to my heart. I think David really got his forgiven child of God status right to his core, to the point where he didn't attach himself to his sin. So um, last year, um, Bal and Vineyard put on a course, and during that course, they thoroughly recommended us to read this book. Um, Has anyone read it in the room? Okay, you're all going to see how much I've plagiarized my talk on this book. (laughs) Um, But there's a really, really great chapter in here um, where it talks about how we don't need to be punished for our sin. And I really struggled with that chapter because it's like outrageous. They tell some stories and you're like, punish them. That's what I was feeling. And it's like, no, they don't need punishment. Um, And it's really hard to get it from your head to your heart. And actually, is there anyone here now who who struggles with that? Who doesn't have this book? It's Culture of Honor. Sorry. Okay, because I'm not being outrageously generous to show up. I realized I had two copies, so you can have this book at the end. Go for it. Great. I don't know what I'll do tonight. No, I've got another one. It's fine. Um, Right. So anyway, in this book, they talk about how you don't um, need any kind of punishment. And the analogy they give, which is so good, is pigs, right? Here they are. So (laughs) what pigs do to cool themselves down is they roll in their own muck. And... That's not pleasant. If any of you guys have been to the countryside and seen this, you will have also been to the countryside and smelt this, and it's not nice. Um, But the cool thing is, some, there's these modern-day farmers who have come up with these drains and rinse systems, and what it does is there's, like, little troughs underneath, and as soon as they make muck, it just, like, takes it away from them and carries it away, and then they have a rinse system to cool them down and wash them clean. So you can probably see where I'm going with this, that the pigs are no longer a part of their muck. They no longer smell. They're washed clean. And Jesus wants this so fervently from us. He wants us to get this. He says, come to me, come to me. I can wash you. I can do this, so you don't need to do this. And it says in Isaiah, verse 118, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Now, as I said before, I know this in reality, but I struggle to get it into my heart. So, bear with me. (laughs) 
This is, um, we've got a great saying in BBC that the awesome lies just beyond the awkward. Let's hope that works because this is going to be pretty awkward. <laughs> I've practiced before getting this seat on whilst holding a microphone in my hand. Hope you're impressed. Yeah. <laughs> now for the zip. Did you get that? Was that like a sound effect in the mic? Um, okay, where am I? So, this is what happens. Who's excited? <laughs> Viv's got her phone out. I'm really going to regret this. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> this is what happens in reality. I sin. Ooh, it's a lot of pain. It's inevitable. We're all going to sin. Um, and instead of having a mind like David, instead of knowing that God doesn't need a sacrifice, instead of saying, you do not require a sacrifice or I would bring it, what I do is I look at the sin, first of all, I look at it, and I say, this is really bad. I've got to do something about this. Um, I've got, I've got to do something to make this right again. I've got to somehow punish myself to make it right. Now, unlike the old days, I don't have any animals to sacrifice, and I'm fairly sure if I did, the RSPCA would not be happy with me. But some of you, what you do, um, you, might, you might think, how can I punish myself? And you might actually hurt yourself. And actually, really unfortunately, statistically, some of you in this room will have tried that. For me, I hurt myself with words. I can be a bit of an overthinker. So I think thoughts like this. I say, now I've done it. Now I'm in the bad books. Now I'm no longer a super Christian. Now I'm going to have to do so much begging so much pleading to get all of this off me. I'm a terrible, terrible person. I am this, and I make it a part of me. It's not okay. I'm making it a part of me. It's not pleasant. God actually doesn't like this. Just like we don't like pigs when they roll in their own feces. It's not pleasant. It doesn't smell very nice. Doing this does not make you worthy. Doing this doesn't make you rub the sin out. It actually makes you rub the sin in. But God says, I've got paint on my shirt. I'm just going to point that out so you're not distracted. It's okay. It's water-based. But God... <laughs> Says the artist. What are you doing? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I know, I practice, it's fine. Um, but God says, I can get this sin off you. Thanks, Paul. When Jesus died on the cross, what he was doing was actually giving us something else to wear. And all you have to do is just let him. Just recognize that you need Jesus to do this for you. As David said, you do not require a sacrifice. 
You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Now, some of you are going to be getting excited for the wrong reasons. Some of you are going to go, I know what's in Tabitha's bag. I know what comes next. It's going to be another white Tyvek suit, and she's going to be like, woo, I'm clean. And then, and then some of you might, might be like, hang on. I can make as much pig muck as I want because it's fine. I just get another white Tyvek suit. And I don't even need to tell anyone about my sin because it's not a part of me. Just like the pigs pooping all day and still looking clean, I don't even need to tell anyone about that sin. Well, I'm sorry, guys. There's not another white Tyvek suit in that bag because that doesn't work as an analogy. In the suit... No, not in the suit, in my bag, is this. Okay, just bear with. Okay, so this is a jumper that my mum knitted for my dad 25 years ago. And um, we, it took her a year and a half to make it. And uh, we weren't a pretty rich family. And the wool was really expensive. And the time was even more expensive. And she poured herself into this jumper. And my dad, this is his prized possession. My dad is um, a local village vicar, and I think when anyone in the village pitches him, they picture him wearing this jumper. It was quite a feat for me to actually get it today. Um, it's his identity, and it's what he wears to all his special occasions. And this jumper is a fraction of the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus paid not with money for wool, but with his blood. He paid not with 18 months of his time, but with 33 years on this planet. And he did it not so that we would feel guilty, but so we don't need to wear that horrible suit anymore. And we can wear this jumper with pride. Now, two things about this jumper. One, if in, say, say in some weird alternate world, um, someone said, Tabitha, you have to wear that paint-covered Tyvek suit every day for the rest of your life. We're like, well, that sucks. How do I express myself? How do I feel like people would even like me? And then, if someone came up to me and was like, you know what, you don't wear that suit, I'll wear that suit, and you wear what I'm wearing, I'd be like bouncing with joy, and I'd want to like run into the street and be like, everyone, I don't have to wear that anymore. So-and-so gave me this jumper. Somehow it feels a lot harder to spread the good news to non-Christians, doesn't it? It's just something worth thinking about. And the second thing is knowing the cost of this jumper, knowing how much it costs my mum to make it for my dad, knowing how much she poured of herself into it, I'm not going to go around purposefully putting paint on it. I'm not going to be like, oh, guys, it's fine, it was free. I'm going to know the love poured into it. I'm going to picture my mum knitting it for my dad. I'm going to want to be eager to please my parents to say, look, I didn't get any paint on it. 
not to earn their love, but to say thanks. Thanks for what you've already given me. And that is somehow what David got hundreds of years before Jesus even came. He said, thanks, Steve. (laughs) He said, you do not delight in a sacrifice or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Then delight. Then, when we get it, once we've understood salvation and received his grace, then we get, then he delights in what we have to give him. Because our sacrifices aren't out of guilt. They're not stinky punishments to ourselves. They're out of love and praise and thanksgiving. So my guess is that in this room, there's two types of people. I think there's those of you who are like me. I grew up with such a big conscience so annoying. And um, I just, it was my go-to to feel terrible about any little thing I'd done. And I just keep saying sorry. I'm sure most of my teenage diaries to God were just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. As I just rubbed in all of that angst and guilt. And I think those of you in this room need to receive that that is not God's desire. That is not what he created us for. Just as the pig smell is gross to him, That's not pleasant. And what you need to receive today is that instead of that, you need to receive a garment of praise. You need to receive this garment. It says in Isaiah, verse 61, verse 3, he will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the second type of people, I think, are the type I mentioned before, where you really struggle to find that sin matters. You're like, I can just poop like a pig all day, and it's gone, and I don't even think about it again. But guys, I have to tell you, sin does matter, and God hates it. He hated sin so much that he sent Nathan in that story to come take time out of his schedule and convict David. And if that's you, if you feel you've got this like nonchalant heart, then today maybe it's just a time to check yourself, to see if inside you have that little voice of Nathan to apologize and then receive how expensive this garment of praise is. Some of you may be tempted just to do that in your head and be like, no one needs to know. Um, I'm going to outrageously paraphrase here, but there's a great bit in James 5 where it talks about when we confess our sins to God, we are forgiven. But when we confess our sins to our friends, we're healed. And I think there's just real power in speaking that stuff out and getting the shame off you. And neither of those things, neither of those people that I just mentioned are better than each other. I've been punishing myself ineffectively. David wasn't even noticing sin. Both of us are human, and both of us need Jesus to step in. And I think that's where my anger came from with David. It was just that we're so different. 
But either way, we both need Jesus, and that's okay. And when you start getting it, when you start getting these things, you'll find that your faith is no longer this like spiritual roller coaster of um, I'm amazing and God is amazing and I'm so rubbish and God, I need you and the highs and the lows. Instead, you'll learn to appreciate the highs. And when you go through the valleys, and they will happen, and we're all going to sin again. A Chinese um, wise man once said, everybody poops. True story. I looked it up. It came from there. And, and you will have the highs and you'll have the valleys, but it's learning to just enjoy the highs. And when you get to the valleys, don't roll in them. Just pass through them, knowing they're going to bring you maturity. Finally, I just want to run over one little thing so that I'm not skipping anything. And I just wanted to point out, so towards the end, we had that kind of extreme bit where Nathan is like, I'm not going to read it, but Nathan's like, all this bad stuff is going to happen to you because of what you've done. And then David says, sorry. Nathan says, you're forgiven. Um, And the bad stuff still happens. And I just wanted to bring that up because I don't want you to go away thinking punishment still happens. David was still forgiven, I promise you, but there is such a thing as consequences. It's not banishment, it's just that when you sin, sometimes you affect other people around you, and it's our job as adults to see who we've affected and take responsibility for it. Again, in this book, they have a great analogy of that when you do a big sin, it's like letting off a paint bomb, which is actually like hilariously relevant. Um, when you let off a paint bomb, you, you might get other people around you painty. And it's your job to look around at who that was and, and say sorry and clean that up. You're still forgiven. You're still rescued. It's not your muck anymore on them, but you did get it on them. So let's, let's pray for you guys too. So let's pray. Let's everyone stand if the band can come up. And just keep in mind what I've said. If you haven't had a relationship where you realize how great that garment of praise is, um, we want to pray for you that you realize how expensive what I'm wearing is. We want to bring you into that place. We want to pray for the Holy Spirit to send you a Nathan in your mind now to convict you. It's not a thing that the church normally brings up, asking for conviction. But it might be what's necessary for some of you here. And if you guys are more like me, and you're there right now feeling guilty, I just want to say that is not what God wants at all. Yes, the Holy Spirit does come and convict us specifically. But what the enemy does is he comes and he condemns us broadly. And that's how you tell the difference. If you've got something specific in your mind, that's the Holy Spirit. If you've got a voice in your head just broadly saying things like you're a bad person, that's not God. So we're, we're, if you want to come to the front, there'll be so many people willing to pray that guilt and shame off you and to pray that you receive a garment of praise in return. And finally, if you're realizing that you've got paint on on others, 
and you like prayer for making amends, we would love to pray into that with you as well. So guys, you're really welcome to come to the front. You're really welcome to receive the Holy Spirit wherever you are. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.